Our text this morning is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. You can find this on page 1023 in the Bible's place in the chairs in front of you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Anna Grace. Thanks, worship team. Well, thanks for being here this morning. I'm Ransom. I'm the pastor here. And um, we are ending our journey through Advent here in just a few days. Uh, at Christmas Eve, and so we find ourselves here at our last sermon in Advent for this season, and so let's take a little jog down memory lane, shall we? Uh, we started in 1 John 4. We learned from that particular passage of Scripture that Advent brings courage. Uh, we have a boldness before God because of who He is, because of what He has done. If you remember, there's this phrase in the Greek, Parousia at the parousia, John is doing wordplay, and what it means is you have confidence at the second coming of Christ. As we approach God because of his eternal love for us, because of the relationship he's invited us into, we uh, are confident in that relationship. And how, so in the practical, how do we gain that confidence? We abide in his love, and the more we see it, the more we feel it, the more we know it, the more confident we will be in that relationship because he does not change. We then moved into 1 John 5 the next week and we saw that Advent brings victory and it's a reminder that the past, present, and future work of Christ gives us victory. Christians, we are a victorious people. We don't have to hang our head in shame. We, we are victorious in Christ. He says at the end of that passage, who is, that, uh, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is? is the Son of God. And so in Jesus, we have victory over sin, we have victory over death, we have victory over the devil. There's nothing else to win. We've won it all through Christ. We then saw in the next portion of 1 John 5 that Advent brings life. Last week, we saw how God clearly presents the way to eternal life, and it's simple. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. And we don't have to wonder whether it's true. God has proven that it's true through the water, the blood, and the Spirit. His, the work of Christ, the death and the birth of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and now the church growing. It's not logical. It's God's proof of what he's done. We can know what Jesus has done. We can be confident in how we gain eternal life. As I was studying this week, uh, one scholar a preacher looked at uh, 1 John 5, and he sees it as kind of a, a threefold declaration of confidence. So he sees that, that in the first chunk, we can know that Jesus is God. We get to verse 13, and it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So we can have confidence in the fact that believers have eternal life. It's not something we have to wonder about. If we believe in Christ, it's ours. And then lastly, we come to these next two verses, 14 and 15, and he says that we can know for sure that God answers prayer. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Confidence in God hearing and answering our prayers. 
again, as I was studying, I was thinking about, uh, I was kind of diving back into the topic of prayer, and I was reminded of the book, The Praying Life by Paul Miller. And in his book, there's lots of things in that book, but in that book, he talks about two kind of wrong postures of prayer. Uh, two wrong postures. So this kind of sets up, so it gives us some things to think about in our own lives. First of all, um, he, he gives the example of Eli from the Old Testament uh, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Those of you who are uh, pregnant, a couple good names, Hophni and Phinehas. Um, so in 1 Samuel 4, he tells a story. First of all, Hophni and Phinehas are bad guys. They are not good guys. You can read about them in 1 Samuel 2. Um, they, they are not good priests. They do really nasty things, but they still hold that office. And, and Eli faces some judgment back then about that. But uh, in, in 1 Samuel 4, here's what's going on. The Israelites are at battle, in battle with the Philistines, kind of a recurring uh, situation in the Old Testament. And they go out to battle, and they lose the first day of battle. And so they come back, and they regroup, and they're thinking, what went wrong? And they said, you know what? We don't have the Ark of the Covenant we don't have God's presence here in the camp. And so they call Hophni and Phinehas on their phones, I suppose. Um, and they say, hey, guys, bring the Ark of the Covenant. So Hophni and Phinehas, these two really irreverent guys that don't respect God, that are terrible priests, bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God into the camp. There's great rejoicing. And what happens the next day? The Israelites go out and they get beat even worse by the Philistines. In fact, Hophni, Hophni, See, I can't even think of his name. Hophni and Phinehas die in the battle. And Paul Miller points out that what's this story about? This story is about the fact that God will not be used for our purposes. This story shows a, a group of people, the Israelite army and Hophni and Phinehas saying, you know what God is to us? A talisman, a, a, a magic lamp. Maybe they didn't know what those things were back then, but the idea is that we can use God for our advancement. And, and, and Paul Miller says this is a bad posture of prayer. It puts us above God. It goes to God to meet our selfish needs. This is not a good posture of prayer. And then he goes on to say the opposite, or the other side of the scale, uh, is not asking anything of God, not praying at all. And he points to James, the brother of Jesus, in his epistle in James 4. It says this, you desire... And do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What he's saying is, when you have something, you don't go to God, you work for it, you fight for it, you murder for it on your own. You do not have, this is his diagnosis, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's referring to that same situation we just learned about from 1 Samuel 4. And so we can see from James, we can see from 1 Samuel 4 that there is a, a right way of asking, there's a wrong way of asking, and it has to do with our posture before God. And so John, in this passage, I think, I hope, because that's the sermon I'm going to preach, wants to breathe some life back into understanding the proper, right posture before God in prayer. And so we're going to learn today, I hope, that, that we should pray to God with honest dependence in Jesus Christ. So let's just stop for a moment and let's pray ourselves and let us, uh, in honest dependence, ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Father in heaven, 
This time of year can be such a mixture of attitudes and feelings and emotions and ideas, and I know that, that many here are tired. Many here are discouraged. Many here are in the Christmas spirit, as we call it. They're bright and happy, and they feel joyous. And so we have a, those two ends of the spectrum and everything in between. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would weed through all of that, speak truth to our hearts, and I pray for myself that this would not be about me and my ability. This would not be about me and my energy level. This would be about you and how you are worthy, what you have done. And I pray, Lord, that we would listen and that I would speak in honest dependence upon you this morning. We love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In verses 14 and 15, we see three different uh, kind of uh, uh, good postures or, or uh, three different ways of asking God, ways of praying that put us in a good posture before God. So first, let's get right into it. Verse 14, it says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, Uh, And he goes on. I'm going to stop right there. John is saying that we have a closeness. And so good asking, this word uh, confidence is the same as the one we learned about in our first Advent sermon, parousia, which means this kind of relational, comfortable closeness where you run into God without changing anything about yourself. You run in because you have a relationship already. And so we can see here that good asking is honest asking. Good asking is honest asking. Running up to God without hesitation, as we are, even in our sinfulness. If we rewind just a little bit to the beginning of the first John series this fall, John talks about this moment where may, when's the moment we might think God doesn't want to see us? It's after we've sinned. But look at 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that so you may not sin. Okay, that's good. We shouldn't sin. But when, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation, the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So even when we're in a place where we have sinned against God, if we are in Christ, we have a free-flowing access to God. We can run to Him. We can run to Him honestly. I think a great example of this kind of honesty is Jesus himself. One of the ways that we know the Gospels are reliable is they include little details like this, Jesus praying for some other way to save his people. So Mark 14, it says this, And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass. We'll talk about the end of this prayer in a moment, but listen to what Jesus prays. Um, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. What's he asking? Can we do this another way? In the the shadow of what's about to come upon him, he's saying, is there any other way, Lord? This is Jesus, God in the flesh, asking what? Honestly. He's being honest in prayer. Here's how I feel. Here's what I see. Here's what I'd rather not do. Jesus declared a specific request. He asked God for another way. And let's just talk about it. What was God's answer? No. 
And we see, and we're going to move right to the next point, is that Jesus isn't bitter about this. He does not begrudging about this. He's praying in God's will. And so good asking is not just honest asking. Good asking is asking according to God's will. That verse finishes, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet not what I will, but you will. And rarely will we ever have a time in our life where we have to pray a prayer as scary as this one that Jesus is praying for himself, about to experience the, the awful crucifixion on a cross. And how could he possibly, if, if he's afraid of that thing, how could he possibly say, but I'll do it anyway, because he trusts God. That's where the ability to pray to God for his will comes into play, a trusting relationship, the second part of verse 14. So this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, when you go off the rails on this, this is where you get, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? My friends all drive Porsches, won't you make amends? That's not what it's talking about, okay? My friends, don't drive Porsches, okay? No, here, go, going back to the Gospel of John, here's Jesus talking about the same concept to his disciples, and here's how John records it. Listen to the context of Jesus answering prayers to the affirmative. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So, it's in the context of abiding. Again, we're, it's kind of a greatest hits of 1 John here, but we've talked about this idea of abiding, residing in God's love, residing in God's word. What happens when we do that? God changes our hearts. God changes our will. God changes our desires. So as we abide in the love of Christ, as his word re- sets up residence in our hearts, what changes? What we ask for. What we ask for, and we ask truly, as Jesus did, even though it's hard, for the will of God to be done. Several months ago, we were in the Sermon on the Mount, and we, we did the Lord's Prayer, Sermon on the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, he says, not my will, but your will be done. And, and so I'm, I think you're allowed to quote yourself. I was looking back at that sermon this week, and, and here's something I said from that sermon. Prayer is a relationship, not a task. We ought to pray for everything because we need God for everything. We need God for everything. We need God's will. He's the one who controls everything. And so we see in this moment, it's not about changing God's mind. It's not about getting what we need. It's not about producing even. It's about talking to God and talking to the one who has everything in our life planned out. Everything in our life in his hands and under control. And so as we're in a good posture before God, First of all, we're honest. Second of all, we're praying for God's will. Thirdly, we move to verse 15. Good asking is confident that God hears and answers. Verse 15 says this, and if we know, if we know the truth is what he's speaking about here, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. In other words, if we are asking honestly and we're asking in God's will, what can we be confident about? We can be confident that the things that we are asking for, the things that the will of God, it's ours already. We don't have to pray just right for Jesus to save us. 
We don't have to pray just right for Jesus to, to want to bless us. We don't have to pray just right for God to be like, ah, there it is, there's the magic word. No, God's will is happening. It will happen. And so good asking is confident that God hears and that he answers. And I know this morning, listen, I know for some of you this can be a painful statement. <laughs> oh yeah, God answers? Let me tell you something, pastor. Don't say that now, we'll wait till later. I know this can be painful. This is where God is so good to us. He gives us an example of this kind of thing in a way that we can bring it to him. They're called the imprecatory psalms, which is a very fancy word for angry. They're angry psalms. Listen to David, a famous one, if you want to read it later, Psalm 88. I'm going to read just a few verses from it. But I want to tell you, when I end, it's not the end of the psalm, but it doesn't get any better. There's not like, it doesn't wrap it up in a bow at the end. So listen to this. David praying to God. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to hear my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol, basically death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. It just goes on and on like that. He's angry, he's sad, he's depressed, and he's letting God know. How could David do that? Isn't that offensive? No. David can do that because he believes that God is hearing him. He believes that God's will will be done. And he believes that God loves him such that he invites honesty. He invites honesty. In the same way, God wants us to call out in honesty. God does not begrudge us feelings. God doesn't begrudge us feelings. God doesn't want us to come to him plastered on with a smile. Everything's great, Lord. It's not what he wants. I had a friend I used to uh, know down in Florida. I guess I still know him. Um, he used to talk about a bad day, and then he'd be like, well, God is good, God is good, God is good, right? That's just like trying to plaster on a smile over a hard time. God doesn't ask us to do that. But it's good to also understand that our feelings are not reality. I've been reading this book. The title might be a little shocking, but it's called The Gospel According to Satan. Um, Jared Wilson. Satan is an interesting religion. Just kidding. I'm not not it. <laughs> He takes eight statements, uh, basically truths that the world tells us that we have adopted, and he debunks them. And he's talking about how the, our emotions are like reality. And so he says this, we must stay aware of our feelings without becoming beholden to them. Emotions are given to us by God. The all-wise creator has wired us to feel. But... Beginning with the fall of man, we've got our wires crossed. The solution isn't to disregard the inner workings of ourselves, but to sort them out and manage them according to the wisdom of God, according to reality. The wisdom of God, the truth of God, is reality. And so to put our emotions first is much akin to what Hophni and Phinehas was doing. And so this morning, church, what can we be encouraged to do in our prayer life? What can we do if we know what good asking is? It's asking honestly. It's asking according to the will of God. It's asking in a confidence that God is actually hearing, and he always actually answers. Just a couple of short applications. First of all, we have to remember how big God is and how much he loves us. 
that, that's one of the first things we throw away when we start feeling discouraged about our lives and what, where God is in it. We have to remember that there's this truth. It's objective. It's not subjective. It's true no matter how we feel about it. God knows us. He loves us. He invites us in. And, and when we couldn't do that because of our sin, he brought Jesus to remedy it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about prayer and God's desire to bless us. If only we were to recollect that we are in the presence of God and that the eternal and almighty God is there looking upon us as our Father and more ready to bless and to surround us with his love than we are to receive his blessing, we would achieve more in that moment of recollection than all of our prayers put together are likely to achieve without it. God is with us. And even when we're down, even when we're in a place of Psalm 88, we want to write an imprecatory psalm of our own. God wants to bless us and love us and comfort us more than we want to receive it. And just by uttering his name, just by saying, God, help me, we've tapped into something immense that we can't understand. I think the other thing that's good to remember as we pray is that we always have to check our expectations. I don't know about you, I tend to live some days like those days are supposed to go off without a hitch. I, suppose I live some days like, man, what's wrong? Why is this day going wrong? It's a day. That's why it's going wrong. It's a day. We are surrounded by, we live in, our jobs are located, our kids go to school, we drive our cars in a wounded and wounding world. <laughs> That's the reality. And so we're going to get poked, we're going to get prodded, our hearts, which are sinful and selfish, are going to react certain ways, our bodies and our, our emotions are broken and crippled. And so we have to constantly be submitting ourselves to God and our expectations. And so this morning, if there's a nugget that you can take away from what John is trying to teach us, I think it's this, prayer isn't about production, prayer isn't about getting, Prayer isn't about doing. Prayer is about honest dependence. That's what it's about. That's what it's for. And who better to depend on than the one who's drawn us close and said, you have free access to me through Christ. Who better to depend on the one who controls all things down to the very atoms of life. Who better to trust than the one who says, I promise you, and it's true, I hear and I answer. So as Advent comes to a close, it points us toward the very thing that we can depend on. Christmas is part one of God's answer. He became flesh. Easter is part two. The reckoning. I don't know what that, whatever you want to call it. Part two is, I'm going to die for your sins. And the resurrection, I'm going to live again for your sins. And then part three is still coming, but we know about it. We read it during the children's sermon. It's, it's a day where he will wipe away every tear. And so our hope isn't in better days now. Our hope isn't in, in how things go or how even our, our sickness turns out or how that relationship ends up. Our hope is only in Jesus Christ. So all of our hurt, all of our hopes, all of our confusion, they will continue, but they will end ultimately in Jesus Christ. 
reading uh, Paul David Tripp this morning, and he calls life the uncomfortable preparation for a comfortable destiny. <laughs> uncomfortable preparation for an uncomfortable destiny. And if you remember the, the confession of sin, that, that uh, assurance of pardon comes from a man named Simeon. And so in the spirit of Christmas, let's end by talking about Simeon. Simeon was this old, old guy who worked in the temple. And, and he, at some point in his life, he, he believed that God would, would bless him by seeing the Messiah before he died. And that, that promise had gone unfulfilled for many, many years. And one day, he comes to work at the temple, doing his temple-y things, whatever that is. And this young couple come in with a baby. They come in with a baby. And as he gets to hold this baby, it dawns on him, in his hands are the, is the Messiah. The Messiah. This thing he's waited for, this thing, I'm sure at times he's like, it's never going to happen. It's happening right then. And that's his song. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for, your, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What was his hope? What was his hope? It was one thing, to see and know the Messiah. And so this Christmas, we can be like Simeon. Let's stop hoping for just better days. Let's stop hoping for better health. Let's stop hoping for these kind of temporary things. You see, one, there's going to be a day where we actually get to experience what Simeon experienced. We're going to stand before Jesus and see the Messiah. That's our hope. That's where confusion will go away. That's where tears will dry up. That's where sin will stop. So this Advent, just a few more days of it as we approach Christmas, this is, this is a, an encouragement to me. I need to pray with honest confidence. Honest confidence. Honest about what's troubling us. God knows your heart. He wants to hear you say your heart. And it's not going to turn him off. Oh, that's too much, Mark. I can't. No. He wants to hear it. Let's be honest with God, like Christ was, about what we want to see. Lord, here's what I'd like to see come out of the situation. But also pray in confidence that he hears us and his answer may not always be what we want, but we can trust him. Why? Because he loves us. His will is perfect. And he's going to answer us in his infinitely wise will that's already yours in Christ. This morning as we approach the Lord's table, it's also required. Um, that's not how I want to say that. Transitioning is hard. Um, this Lord's Supper this morning is a moment of honest dependence as well. Honest dependence. These two things are in conjunction. First of all, honest, that we are sinners that we do things not just generally, but specifically to hurt people we love, people we don't love. We do things that are a stench to God's nose. And so that's honest. We are sinners, but dependence upon the fact that we don't bear that burden when we are in Christ. Jesus Christ died for those stinky sins. He died for them. And they count for you. 
You can come and eat this bread and drink this cup, not because you're amazing, but because Jesus Christ has invited you and he has invited you on his own worth. And so this morning, who should come and participate in this sacrament? Those who believe in Jesus Christ, but not just believe in Jesus Christ, but believe that they have those sins, that have confessed those sins, and they confess them because they believe they can't do anything to make up for them. Only Jesus Christ can. They depend upon Christ. They've made that public profession, I believe. They've been baptized. They're welcome. You're welcome. I'm welcome. Not on our own merit, but on Christ. If you're here this morning, and that's, those things are true about you, approach with confidence. Take big old steps. Keep your head up, knowing that you're a sinner. <laughs> and everyone else with you, around you, is one too. And that Jesus Christ has saved you. This morning, if you don't believe those things, or maybe there's a sin in your life, and you're like, well, I'm not so sure I want to get rid of that just now. The Bible makes it clear this is not the time or the place to come and eat and drink because you're, you're not in a place where you are receiving. You're not being honest, first of all. Second of all, you're not receiving that dependence that you need. And so let's take a moment and take a silent prayer. I'll, I'll join us back together with a prayer of blessing. I'll give some instructions, and then we'll participate in the Lord's Supper together as a family of God. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless these elements, the bread, the wine, the juice, I pray, Lord, that they would be blessed not to be physically changed, but to remind us and bring us into the very presence of Jesus Christ spiritually. He's here with us in spirit. He lives in us, in our hearts. And as we gather together, you promise to be here. And so this is not just something we do each week. This is an opportunity to eat in your presence and receive your grace. Praise your name. I pray, Lord, that as this is the last time we eat, I think this year as a church together, that it would be a blessing in such a way that it would bolster us through the holidays, it would bolster us into the new year. And Lord, I pray that you would be with this congregation, that uh, whatever may come, we as individuals and as a group would grow to abide in you more and your word in us. That's what I pray. I pray that all begins now as we participate together in the Lord's Supper. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.